Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our Hangout, our live broadcast. Today we are looking at Sutta number 33 in the Book of Threes, in Guttara Nikaya, the Sariputta Sutta. First, the Buddha warns Sariputta. Sariputta comes to see the Buddha and pays respect, and the Buddha warns him, Sankite napi kovahang Sariputta dhammang deseyam. I may teach the Dhamma in brief, vitare napi kovahang Sariputta dhammang deseyam. I may teach the Dhamma in detail. I might teach the Dhamma both in brief and in detail. But anyataru chadulamba. It is hard to find those who will understand. Those who will understand are difficult to find. One who understands, those no, those who understand are hard to find. It's hard to find those who understand the Dhamma. Should not expect everyone to understand it. Which to an outside ear sounds a bit like a cop-out. When people don't understand or don't appreciate Buddhism, we, oh, well, they, when people don't appreciate it, we say, oh, they just don't understand. They're just too undeveloped, right? Of course, that's what, it's just an easy cop-out. But of course, it has to be true to some extent. If if there were a teaching that, as Buddhism claims to be, were the highest, most pure form of wisdom, then for certain, many people would not understand it. And so I think it's a fair thing to say that when you're talking about the truth, most people won't understand it. Most people don't even aren't even interested in trying to understand it. Many people are on the wrong path, purposefully you know, and, and knowingly. Well, not knowingly, but without any without any regard for whether it's the right or wrong path, or without real care or concern for the path that they're on following it for various reasons, sometimes simply because it's what they were taught or what their culture uh, pushes on them. Often just because it's what pleases them because of the, uh, the desires and so on. But ultimately, ultimately, it comes down to three things. And remember, we're in the Book of Threes, so we have three, really the best sort of overarching, simple way of understanding the problem, the problems that we have, 
are these, these three terms. This is a really good classification, of course. There's many different classifications of the problem, but a really good one is these three. Ditti mana tanha. Or ditti tanha mana mana in these in this form. Views, craving, and conceit. Views, craving, and conceit. These are the three the categories of, of defilements, or the three main defilements that are problems for us that cause us stress and suffering. How they're described here is ahankara, mamankara, and mana. In Thai, they say ahankan mamankan. The first time I heard this was in Thai. I think Ajahn Tong was saying it. And I, was saying, I heard him say ahankan mamankan. And it's apparent, I think it's something that Thai people say. They put them together like this, but they've taken it directly from the Pali. Ahankara mamankara. Ahankan mamankan means uh, the idea is clinging to things as me as mine. That's exactly how you'd translate it. Uh, making things out to be me or mine. Ahankara. Kara means making. Ahang means I. So I making. Mamang means mine. Maybe it means mama. Maybe mama kara. I don't think it's mamang, but it somehow becomes a mamang. Mama, mamang. Maybe it can be. I don't think so. Anyway, mamangkara means my making. Mana means conceit. So ahankara, making something out to be I. Or even not just I, but making something out to be a, an entity, a self. That's called ahankara. And it comes from view. That's a description of views. So when you say this is a thing, this is a self, this is I, that's views. This is the self. That is the self. It's a view. And it, this goes with anything. You know, This is God. That is God. This is any of these sort of uh, religious claims. Something happens and you believe it's God. You get this a lot. This is how Christians explain their faith. Recently I had it explained to me by Christians. I mean, I say Christians because they're the most common around these parts. Um, but they're they're they're, all, they're always saying, claiming that you know, I know God and I felt God in my life and I've experienced God. That's all just views. You haven't experienced anything of the sort. What you've experienced is seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, thinking. Even if a being came and stood before you and in all their glory and called themselves God, it would still not be God. It would still just be seeing. As soon as you make it more than that, you uh, ahankara. It's not exactly ahankara, I suppose, because it's not I, but it's it's along the same lines. And it's just as problematic because you make anything out to be an entity and suddenly you've got something you can cling to, something that's permanent, stable, satisfying, which doesn't actually exist and is dependent on things that are impermanent, unsatisfying, and uncontrollable. Mamankara is from tanha, craving. Mamankara saying this is mine, possessions. 
And it's not just mine, it's wishing for things to be mine, right? Wishing to obtain things. So it's all under the heading of mamankara. Whether you you think look at things, conceive of things to be yours, or whether you conceive of things as worth being yours, as... Um, appealing, yeah, where the idea of ownership is appealing. A liking of things of any sort is under mamangara. Because when you say mine. Mine. And of course the problem here is not just with the fact that it's not even just with the fact that it's impermanent, unsatisfying and uncontrollable, but that it tanha is addictive, right? You get something, even you can get what you want. It cultivates further addiction and doesn't actually satisfy you. I mean, it's a real problem. It's impermanent, unsatisfying, uncontrollable. But the danger is that you become addicted to these things. You're addicted to things that can't satisfy you. And so you need more and need more. And you you actually become, as a person, less and less happy. You think, this is making me happy, right? Because there's pleasure involved. But over time, you can see that the more addicted you are, the less of a happy less happier you are as a person. It's mamankara. And the third one is mana. Mana means conceit. Conceit is different from views because conceit doesn't actually say this is self, that is self. It doesn't actually claim the existence of something. It isn't put in the form of a claim. Well, not per se. It's, it's, it's a estimation when you esteem yourself to be less than someone else, or you esteem yourself to be more better than someone else, or you esteem yourself to be equal to someone else. There are nine types of, of conceit. You can conceive of yourself of being greater than someone else and actually be greater than them. It's still conceit. You can conceive of someone as being greater than them, conceive of yourself as being greater than someone, and you're actually equal to them. That's conceit. Or you can conceive of yourself as being greater than someone and you're lesser than them. And so on with equal or lesser as well. Three times three times. Uh, three plus three plus three. Three cubed. So nine types of conceit. Now, a sotapanna can only give rise to three types of conceit as far as I remember. They give rise to uh, the conceit of being greater than someone when they're actually greater than them. They can, they can have conceit of conceiving themselves as equal to someone when they're actually equal to someone. And they can conceive of themselves as being less than someone when they're actually lesser than someone. Those are, if I remember correctly, a sotapanna can only give rise to those three. They can't have the misrepresentation of themselves. It's of the clarity of mind. But... Um, it seems like it would more be in regards to a quality. So if they if they observed a quality in someone and thought, uh, and, and that, that quality actually made them greater than a person, and they couldn't misconceive that that actually made them worse, I think is the point. It's not like you could look at someone and say, oh, I'm greater than them, but you don't realize. Sotapanna could probably still rea not realize that actually that person was greater than them. But... Uh, they aren't able to misunderstand qualities in the same way as an ordinary person. Anyway, conceit, even even that is conceit. Even when you're greater than someone, if you believe you're greater than them, 
that feeling, that estimation is conceit. It happens. It's a part of our makeup. It's what we have to work at. It's not something you can just fix and say, no, I won't be conceited, which is what a lot of people try to do. They try to be humble artificially. It doesn't really fix the problem. It's a temporary solution, sort of faking it. And you can fake it till you make it, but making it is much different when you actually come to see that there's no I, there's no me, there's no mine. There's nothing worth clinging to. Slowly give up your conceit. An arahant is one who gives up conceit entirely. So this um, <coughs> the sutta isn't actually about those three. That's not the numeration. The numeration is to not have ditti mana, ditti tanha and mana in regard to the savinyana kaya, this body and mind, this body that has a mind, this body that has consciousness. One should not have these things in regards to one's own, one's own being. You know, this body and this mind are not I, are not mine, are not me. And nor should one have it in regards to other things. Sabin, bahinda sabanimitesu. All in regards to all signs that are external, which means anything you perceive, anything you conceive, uh, any nimitta, you see, the nimitta is that which gives rise to views and opinions and beliefs and attachments. So when you see a person, the nimitta is going to arise that tells you that's a person, you know, sort of the sanya, the memory that that's a person. Now, if you're not mindful, that memory is going to give rise to all sorts of reactions. Oh, that's a person I like, that's a person I don't like. You see a plate of food in front of you, oh, that's food I like, it's food I don't like, it's my food, that kind of thing. It is food, which is a view, you know, when you think of it as a thing. This is an apple. This apple exists. You have that view that things exist, which we mostly only have towards beings, people, the belief that people exist, the belief that we exist as an entity, these beliefs. It's not so much about what is true and not true. We're not really so concerned, although seeing what's true is what allows you to give these up. It just means... The, the experience, we're, we're only talking about a view as an experience where you say to yourself, that's a person, or, that, or this, is, this is the self, this is I. That kind of. And when you like something or want something, when you possess something, this is mine, and you really cling to it. It's not that you aren't able to tell which is yours and which is someone else's, but when you cling to it and you think of it as, as a possession of yours such that... Uh, you have the sole right over it, such that if anyone were to were to uh, challenge or threaten that, it would cause you stress and suffering and upset, anger. So not internally and not in regards to external objects and one and finally enter into and dwell in that liberation of mind liberation by wisdom 
to which there is no more ahankara, mamankara, or mana. Anusaya, the anusaya. Anusaya, no more, no more potential for giving rise to these. What's we talking about? Nibbana. When someone attains nibbana, there is no. Yeah, the underlying tendencies to give rise to these things are broken off through wisdom, through seeing, and through a change of perspective. Once one sees nibbana, one's being changes, and through seeing and through the act of letting go, and through the act of, of experiencing cessation of suffering, one sees that there's nothing worth clinging to, and that the things that we cling to don't really exist in any substantial form they, they come and they go they arise and cease not even as entities but as experiences so these three good to remember titi manatanha the three lumpo uh, chodok this monk here he uh, he always refers to them as jnana gati dhamma which i tried to find but i couldn't find exactly that list I found something in one of Lady Sayadaw's books. It's the only thing I could find about these three, but it's probably in a commentary or sub-commentary somewhere. Couldn't find it anyway. But Jnana Gatika Dhamma are the Dhammas, or he called them Jnana Gati Dhamma, but I found them as Jnana Gatika. They're the things that um, masquerade as Jnana, as knowledge, but they're not knowledge. So you can... You can have a view and it appears that it's knowledge. You can have craving and it masquerades. You think you, you, you're, you, you're realized and you're enlightened, but actually it's just your craving that's speaking, making you think that you are. And uh, mana is conceit. You conceive of yourself as, as better or, or worse or so on. And that leads you to believe, leads you to think. Or that these three things... Um, prevent you from seeing clearly these three things unless you break them you can't actually see clearly he, he, he talks about these three as um, you can't really cut them unless you uh, practice vipassana unless you actually I think he, he talks about how using the mantra is what really allows you to cut through these three. So if you just observe, if you just, if you just uh, know that you're walking, know that you're sitting, and he says, well, dogs know that they're walking, dogs know that they're sitting. And he's quoting the Satipatthana commentary when he says that. And if you listen to his talks, he says, Magalu, <laughs> dogs know, dogs know when they're walking, they don't become enlightened. And that's what the commentary says. Now this is a special kind of knowing. It's uh, knowing that, and he says, it's because dogs can't get rid of titi mana tanha, he mentions these three. And he talks about how, how using the mantra, reminding yourself, tira sanya. I'm no, I found that all by myself. Tira sanya is the proximate cause of mindfulness. It makes it very, very clear. Sanya is the recognition. This is this. When you say to yourself, this is pain, there arises tira sanya, the fixed perception and remembrance, recognition of something as it is. And that gives rise, that's what, really what we would call sati in the Satipatthana Sutta.
Anyway, so that's the Dhamma for tonight. Do you have any questions? We do, Bhante. I need some instruction with the advanced states in meditation. I'm confused in that you advocate jhana meditation, but say access concentration isn't part of the practice. I am wondering how you access jhana without access concentration. I've never experienced jhana without it. Should I set up an appointment with you? I don't advocate jhana meditation. So therefore, access concentration isn't part of the practice. I think you're misunderstanding our practice. We don't practice samatha jhana meditation. I mean, you could talk about the vipassana jhanas, but they're quite different. And you could talk about lokuttara jhana, which is in a whole other category of its own. But if you're talking about the samatha jhanas as as normally described by you know as an absorbed state fixed on a single object, that's not what we're about here. So I'm not sure where you got the idea that we advocate jhana meditation. I mean, it's not that we we don't advocate it. We just don't. I just don't teach it. Not samatha jhana meditation anyway. Bhante, I saw this question among the comments on YouTube on one of your videos a while ago and am wondering the same thing. What are your thoughts on Ramana Maharshi? To people asking for a practice to take up... To read all that. It's long. Because I don't have any thoughts on Ramana Maharshi. <laughs> Sorry. That's a, one, that's a no-no. I don't really answer questions about other people, especially when I'm not familiar with them. Yeah. It's not really what this is for. It's just too, there's too many of those questions and they're not really on point. I don't compare what I do to anyone else. If you, you know, I think people think better than comparing it. I don't know. I guess that's what people want to do because you want to find the practice for you, but it doesn't work like that. You either do our teaching and follow it solely or not. There's not really a mixing and matching like comparing and that kind of thing you should pick one tradition and stick to it because it's too easy to mix and and conflate and not realize that you're actually conflating things that are not the same this isn't exactly a question it's just kind of some discussion that was going on but um you know maybe good to clarify a mm -hmm. question you don't need jhana for stream entry Yes, you do, but you need lokutra jhana. It's a different kind of jhana. Lokutra means super mundane. The jhana is the jhana with nibbana as its object. You don't need to practice samatha jhana beforehand. I have a problem with an object of meditation, and it is when I think, when I think in something that is very unfair. Let's say that the object of meditation is injustice. The problem is that I cannot say injustice, injustice. And I know that a particular of what I am thinking, so I shouldn't acknowledge it as injustice. Do you want me to go on or? 
It's so hard to read, no? Oh, no, I, I mean, I can read it. I just, okay. But it is kind of thinking something that I don't understand what it is, and I feel aversion to that because I just don't understand it. If I don't understand what it is, how can I see it for what it is? I'm not sure of how to solve this problem. Thank you. Okay, you think of something that is unfair. Well, that's thinking. Of course, you never say injustice because that's not an experience. You don't experience injustice, even though you might think you do. You experience thinking. You probably have an aversion to it. Well, if there's an aversion, then you should say uh, disliking, disliking. If it makes you angry, you would say angry, angry. If you judge it, you could say judging, judging would might work. Now, it's not pejorative. You're not, you're not judging these, these experiences. You're just trying to be objective about them. Yeah, you say, what? I feel aversion. Well, there you go. Disliking. If you're confused, you can say confused, confused. If you're unsure, you can say unsure, unsure. All of this is very good fodder for meditation. While noting my experiences when I'm practicing, it seems like the noting of the momentary experience gets in the way of clearly seeing it as it is in some way, even when I try to do it in a very subtle way. How should I deal with this? Well, stop trying to do it in a subtle way. That, that won't help the problem. Um, but yes, it's designed to get in the way. We don't want to see the details of the object. The Buddha said clearly, and I've answered this question. It's, it's a good question. It's just a very, very common question um, and sort of complaint, I guess. It's a common complaint and it's valid um, or it's invalid, but we have to explain why it's invalid because people don't realize that the Buddha actually didn't want us to see clearly the objects. Uh, in their details. So the Buddha said, Nani mita gahi, gahi. One doesn't grasp the, the characteristics or the particulars because that's where problems arise. Seeing should just be seeing. Hearing should just be hearing. And that's it. You don't have to really investigate it. All you have to know about the things is that they're impermanent, unsatisfying, and uncontrollable. Noting allows you to do that because as soon as you note, you'll see they cease. Well, generally, they come and they go. What you will see about them is that, oh, it's gone. That's enough. Move on. That's all you needed to see. Because that's what you're trying to realize is that, oh, actually, there's nothing to learn about these things. They just come and they go. None of them are special. None of them have any meaning beyond that. If it feels uncomfortable, it's meant to take you out of your comfort zone. So you should note that as well. If you have doubt about it, which often is accompanied by these sorts of complaints, to say doubting, doubting, and you'll find you don't doubt so much anymore. Not that you believe everything, but you just, you know, you're free from that concern because, oh, I don't have to doubt, I just say doubting, doubting, and the doubt's gone. Like everything else, it comes and it goes. It's not me, it's not mine, it's not I. I just came upon a a message regarding um, not asking you the question about the jhanas. So sorry about that. I, I didn't have a chance to kind of pre-read everything. So don't like, um, don't ask me that question. <laughs> yeah, but but maybe it was, you know, maybe it was useful to other people that were wondering too. As I understand, it is okay to note something that happened very recently as long as as long as it is fresh in the mind. 
In other words, an idea of getting an apple arises. If I happen to note the thinking, is it appropriate to also note wanting after thinking in that particular case? It is fleeting indeed, and it is confusing to me, for we can't grasp these fleeting states and shouldn't know what is not present. As I understand, we can't want something and be mindful in the same moment. So in that sense, it seems we can't technically know anything as it actually happens. You never, it's, that's right, it's not possible, and we're not trying to, which kind of, is, it's misleading the idea that you should be in the present moment and note in the present moment, because you can't actually. You only can, and we're not trying to. That's not the point. The point is to, to find an alternative to reacting to whatever you've just experienced. So when you experience something, the next thing is going to be a reaction. Even if it's a reaction itself, if you like something, the next step is going to be a reaction to liking. It's a lot more, you know, technically, if you get down to the moment-by-moment -moment mind states, it's, uh, it's a little bit more technical than that. But basically... It's that you you react to everything, including your reactions. So to stop that, at some point, you make a determination to change that, to remind yourself, and to experience something just as it is. To react as no, to react to something just as it is. So when you like something, and then you say after you like it, you say liking. It's just reminding yourself that that's liking instead of saying, oh, that's a problem. I have to go and get it, or that's. I'm so glad I like that thing. Wow, I should go get it. With seeing, it's right after you see. With hearing, it's right after you hear. With pain, it's right after. It's not meant to be right at the moment. But as far as your question about thinking and, and wanting, if you say thinking and then it disappears and there's no more wanting, you wouldn't then follow it up with wanting. Thinking would have been enough. Um, but if you experience it as wanting, you should say wanting. And if the wanting lingers, then you should say it. But you shouldn't say two or three things because in that moment there seemed to be, or, or there were moments of both. Pick one, note it, and if anything is still left, then you can note that as well. But if nothing's left, move on. It's not important that you catch everything. It's not like we're checking off a list or something. We're just trying to stay, we're trying to train ourselves to see things clearly. And all I mean by that is to, to be objective to not react to things. See it come, see it go, that's it. What is the Buddhist view on dyeing hair bright colors? Is there anything against it? Millions, dyeing the hair bright colors. Sounds a lot like attachment to image, no? Why would, what would be the practical purpose if it somehow kept mosquitoes away, that would be a, a practical purpose. I doubt it does. Um, but otherwise, it's an attachment to image. It's, a, it's based on a desire for people to, uh, to, to give rise to a reaction, right? Usually you want people to find you attractive. Um, or maybe you want to find, anger your parents or that kind of thing, right? You want to, people to think you're cool, hip, chic, that kind of thing. It's all ahangara, mamangara. It's all based on ditti, mana, and tanha. Bhante, when you first said ditti, mana, and tanha, I actually knew what all three of those were, and I immediately got conceited. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. Can someone explain to me 
in the Eightfold Path, it says right speech, which I believe is the idea of not saying things to hurt others. But one of the five precepts is that you should be honest. What happens if being honest is going to cause upset to someone? Can someone clarify? Um, well, yes, you could argue that it's um, that the truth can hurt. So the five, one of the five precepts is not that you should be honest. The one of the five precepts is that you should not tell a lie. Um, but it doesn't mean if someone looks fat in a dress, you have to say, boy, you look fat in that dress. Doesn't mean every time a truth comes to you, you have to blurt it out, let people know. Like someone's walking down the street and a dress makes them look fat. You have you don't have to run after them and tell them that the dress, you know, like obviously. It would be silly to think that you did. So it's not about being honest. It's about not lying. Uh, that being said, right speech is also not about saying things that don't hurt others per, per se. Because it, it depends on your meaning of hurt. If something actually is to a person's detriment, then you could argue that, that that's pretty easily understood as wrong speech. On the other hand, if something quote-unquote hurts someone, but in the end is good for them, you know, it makes them upset, but it's something that they had to hear, then that is a case where, where it could be right speech. The Buddha said you be, he's careful about speech that is unpleasant. It's not that he doesn't speak speech that is unpleasant. He's careful about it. He knows the right time for it. Um, important is that speech is truthful and beneficial. If it's not truthful and not beneficial, it's wrong speech. If it's truthful and beneficial, then if it's pleasant, then it's always right speech. Or, or if it's something that someone would, would be happy to hear, then it's always right speech. And if it's something that's unpleasant, then the Buddha knows the right time and the wrong time. He knows the right time when to say it. So the point is, it's right speech if it's said at the right time. Meaning if it's said um, in, in such a way and at such a time and with such an understanding that it is it will actually benefit a person. On the other hand, that might be going too far and worrying about concerning yourself with those things might be a little bit overwhelming. Uh, right speech is actually four types. It means no uh, lying, so there's no false speech, no gossiping in, in the sense of saying something, someone says something to you or you, you find something out somewhere and you go and tell it to someone else to try to break these people up, trying to break people up. Speech used to um, cause divisiveness, divisive speech, I guess is the definition or the name. Um, harsh speech, speech meant to inflict pain, with the intention to inflict pain. And uh, useless speech, speech that is, you can define useless speech, speech that is without, without purpose, speech for the sake of speaking. That's wrong speech. Only an arahant gets rid of that kind of speech. The other three, uh, the other three are done away with an anagami. Well, the first one's done away with that sotapanna. The second and third are done away with by anagami, but the fourth one is only done away with by an arahant. So even an anagami can have useless speech. Sometimes I feel formal practice is too overwhelming. So sometimes I just sit in my room doing nothing and noting. Is this a good practice? Sure. Sure. When you want to look at why formal practice is overwhelming, it can become a sort of a stigma. 
they get stigmatized, right? Where just the thought of practicing is unpleasant to you. But if you sit there and note, well, you're basically doing the same thing. It's just, um, there's a stigma against it. You have to look at whether you're forcing yourself, whether you're causing a uh, disliking aversion to the practice. You have to meditate on the aversion so that it doesn't get in your way. And eventually, you don't want to avoid, you don't want to cultivate an aversion to practice, so you do want to overcome it. But, you know, being mindful, just sitting there is great. It's really what you're supposed to do in meditation anyway, so... I think we're all caught up on questions one day. But um, I just wanted to mention we were talking about having a volunteer meeting on Sunday. And mm -hmm. as it turns out, um, a bunch of people can't make it on Sunday. So now we're thinking tomorrow night, Saturday night before the broadcast. So did you have a particular time in mind, Monday? Uh, maybe we'll do 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock sounds seven. good. So I'll, at 7 o'clock uh, tomorrow night or a few minutes before, I'll post a link in the meditation site and uh, also on our Facebook volunteer site and our Slack site. We have uh, multiple platforms where people keep in touch for our I volunteer will, projects. I have an announcement as well. I'm supposed to pass this along. This is a temporary site. Don't bookmark this, but uh, go take a look. This is a prototype of our new meditation.sarimongolo.org. And it uh, looks a little bit different. It's a little bit, probably take a little bit of getting used to. But there's a chat. It looks more like the Android app. I think that's what he modeled it around, right? Um, but, and it's new and it doesn't have all the features of the old one, but this will be the new version. Make no mistake, there's no, do you like it? Do you think we should change? This is what we're moving towards very soon. Uh, for the main reason, the main reason has nothing to do with how it looks or what features it has. The main reason is that the, the site that we're using now is unprofessional. It's a, it's a um, poorly made um, hack. And so it's potentially unsafe. It's hard to uh, upgrade, and 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 you know it, it makes things a lot more difficult than they have to be, and a lot more problematic. So even if you're comfortable with the site as we have it, well, just let us know what features and and what things about it you liked, because the move has nothing to do with how it looks or the way it works uh, from a user experience. The move has much more to do with the back end. What's working underneath that you don't ever see because the new one is based on a, as I understand a established framework that um, is professional and it's got some snazzy already got some snazzy features so. doesn't have that circle what do you think of that uh, meditation circle with the circles in it that's actually really cool. I wonder if there's a way to, to add that in at some point. Well, it's just JavaScript. It's actually a hack in and of itself. Okay. Um, you can just copy the JavaScript and fix it up. But I think I might suggest that he does put it in somewhere. Problem is that the format here with the tabs doesn't really 
doesn't really isn't really lend itself well to you just put underneath the finished meditating right underneath the meditating list you could also have the fourth tab meditation circle or it could be above the finished meditating and we wouldn't have a list of people who are currently meditating just have the circle I don't know is it simpler to have the list he probably looked at the circle and said what the heck is he doing could be but yeah our volunteers have been working on this for a while and they had security in mind and thank you thank thanks so much to our IT team I can view it on Android with Firefox it's funny that you can't While we were looking at that, there was another question submitted. Um, what is your view on social media and posting pictures of yourself or things on social media? Is that trying to boost your ego, etc.? It's been on my mind for a while. I think 99% of the time it probably is. It doesn't have to be. You'll notice that I'm averse to it. I can see the big, I personally see a big problem with it tend to see how it's used to promote self, oneself, self-promotion, not so good. And everyone was saying that about this when I started posting videos on YouTube. There were some snickers and, and criticisms about self-promotion. I never worried about that. I mean, what are you going to do? Have a picture of someone else or a picture of something else while I'm talking? This has never been for that reason. I mean, I think that would be silly to try and avoid showing your own face and and you know to some extent that's a good there's a good point there is that i wouldn't want to because you want to make a connection and having me sitting here talking is is beneficial i would say you know being able to watch the teacher teach watch the person teaching teach um so it doesn't you know simply showing yourself but a picture what does a picture of yourself do you know you show a picture of yourself what does it do except aggrandize yourself? What does it do except promote yourself? I mean, it doesn't have to. It's not. It's it's true. And I have used myself in pictures personally, without I think any sort of sense of self-aggrandizing. Um, you know, just because I'm I'm a monk and a monk makes a good pick a good subject for. But it would usually be because of a quote. It wouldn't be because hey, look at me. I don't think. I mean, I think I think you do have to be careful. Everyone's posting selfies. It's a very, very. I think it's a very, very problematic tradition. I think if anything, I'd want to do less than post a selfie. That's why everyone likes your non-selfies, Bhante. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Is and then what do you do when you're when you're trout when you want you know, people to know you're okay, you're still alive? What do you do? I think you post non-selfies. It seems neutral enough. And a question from Ryan. Um, yes, it looks like with the new site, you would um, create an account, but you can use your same name, I think, because it's pretty empty right now. You get it while it's hot. And it's it's actually not your name. You Your name can be duplicates, actually, which might be a problem. Well, not really. Everyone, Different people might have the same name. The name is separate from the user. The user is not a username anymore. 
it's an email so one email one user and your name is totally arbitrary you can make your name whatever you want although we might ban you if it's if it's objectionable but otherwise uh, you know it'd be nice if everyone used their real names honestly at least their first name usernames are you know aliases is this isn't really the community for alias. I mean, you don't go to a Dhamma group and say, oh, my name is uh, Zwieback33 or something. You know? No, you, my name is Joe, my name is Jeff. Tell us who you are. We don't want that. Unless you're in hiding and, and a closet meditator or something, living in a repressive religious household. Or you might get fired if people find out you meditate. There was a guy in Israel who didn't want me to, I was doing recording before I was a monk, I was doing some video recording and taking shots of the group, and he came up to me and said, please don't record me because it's dangerous for him. And uh, then the quest questions. No, I'm, I'm done. I can't okay, just, just keep more questions. If there's more questions tomorrow. Okay, this was just a question on the volunteer meeting. Mm -hmm. um, will it be recorded and posted? Um, Actually, not sure. Sometimes people are, are not really comfortable when things are um, being recorded. And um, our volunteer group that was showing up to the meetings kind of kind of shrunk down a lot. So I'm not sure if part of that was because people were uncomfortable being recorded and on air. So if, if that is um, the consensus, we may just take notes from the meeting and um, okay. just take notes and post yeah, them. Broadcasting. Monte has run away. Tomorrow morning, I actually have an appointment at 9 o'clock. I can come after that. Okay, thank you. Thank you, sir. How's that? Sorry, even these monks have been trying to get in touch with me tomorrow morning. They do want me to go to Toronto. They have, um, I think, I think it's they have supporters who speak English, you know, and uh, they want me to give talks. So I go for lunch and I give the talk, just like ten minutes. It's nice. It's nice to meet all these nice people, and I really appreciate it. Usually, they have kids. It's it's probably mainly because of the kids who don't understand Sinhalese. They want them to have a little bit of English dhamma. Is that right in Hamilton, Bande? No, Mississauga. Oh, okay. Toronto. So we're still using this site for now. Uh, you only ever have to come to meditation.surimongolo.org, but we'd like you to try out the new site and you know potentially um, post your meditations there as well. And and if you know how to use GitHub, you can post issues to let us know if there's any bugs. I don't know if he has a GitHub link there, but uh, yeah. anyway. Save your questions for tomorrow. We'll try to get back to them. Uh, that's all for tonight. Good night, everyone. Thanks, Robin. Thank you, Bhante. Good night.